Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is October 6, 2014, and this is episode 98. My name is Jake English, and here to class up the proceedings is Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you probably found us at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, where we host the podcast and we run an occasional blog. It's also possible that you've reached us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, where we, along with our amazing sister wife podcasts, can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. We encourage you to go and find great shows about the Orioles, Ravens, yes, Scott, even the Caps, Baltimore Sports Report Network. Now, one thing that we've noticed with the Orioles playoff runs is that there are a lot of new people listening to the show. And if you're new around here, we just wanted to take a moment at the top and thank you. Thanks for trying us out. And we hope that our little corner of the internet has helped you enjoy this fun stretch of Orioles baseball. If you have some feedback, we'd love to know what you think. And you can reach out to us in a couple of different ways. First, by email at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can leave a comment and review the show on Stitcher and if you must, on that other program that kicks us off occasionally. What's that thing called, Scott? Um, iTunes? Okay, yeah, that's the one. But the best way to reach us is at Twitter, and you can do that where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. Okay, so now that you've been talking for the past four minutes, do I get to talk now? Yes. Okay, great. Well, Jake, let's go ahead and get to the drink of the week. Jake, um, what are you drinking this week? Well, I poured myself a terrible, terrible drink, which you fixed. Okay. I am drinking a whoa, Nelly. Wow. I am. It's fantastic. Thanks, buddy. It was a it was a terrible thing that you you managed to sew together. All I'm going to say is ALDS game number 3. Uh I may have been drinking some spiked apple cider with some basil hayden's into it. I'm like, this isn't working. The Orioles are not uh putting it ahead. I'm going to go make myself a whoa, Nelly. And sure enough, as soon as I did, Nelson Cruz, two run dong. For all of you that are confused, the whoa, Nelly is made of what? Um, it is uh, two parts of orange juice, one part of triple sec, one part of blue coat gin. It has to be blue coat gin. All right, fair enough. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Baltimore beverage. I am drinking an Ozzy from the Brewer's Art. All right. Usually at this point we would go into the medical wing, but Scott, screw it. Let's do it. Let's go to the twat. This week on the Twitters. Um, Jake, there was a tweet from Royals Review, and there actually was a retweet from uh, ESPN Sports Nation, and it was, which team are you rooting for in the American League Championship Series? And the entire nation has picked the Kansas City Royals at 67%, and only two states are picking the Baltimore Orioles, Maryland and Virginia. So is this Birdland? Actually, I think Delaware's in there too, but it's so small that I can't really tell. It's not a real state. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. 
It's the first date, okay? <laughs> all right. Another thing that I, I wanted you to talk about, uh, this next thing, it's all caps. It must be important. All right. I don't want to lose focus of this because we're into the playoffs, but something really amazing happened last Sunday. And unfortunately, it happened to the south of us in D.C. But this came from Andrew Stetka, and you can follow him at A. Stetka. And he has a great blog up today on Mass and Sports Today. I recommend everyone go to Mass and Sports and read Andrew's article. Um, and it says, holy crap, that no-hitter ending. Yes, Jake, the Nationals under Ryan Zimmerman threw a no-hitter last Sunday, and the last out with the jumping catch in left field was a great ending to a game. Jake, honestly, it may have been the best fielding play I've seen all season because of you know what it entailed of being the last out of the season and also finalizing a no-hitter. Um, you know, Normally, I don't tip my cap to the Nationals, but kudos to the Nationals and kudos to Ryan Zimmerman on that great day. Jordan. Oh, was it Jordan? Yeah, Jordan Zimmerman. Zimmerman. It may have been under the shadow of the, the, the Ryan Zimmerman I'm sorry, regime. Yeah. but Those Zimmerman boys always confuse me. It's one of the Zs. Yeah. No, props to the Nats. Yeah. That's that's a great day for them. But yeah, I mean, that's, like I said, I, I watched, you know, eighth inning plus because the Oriole game was still on. Um, and, you know, it was just a... The, uh, the meaningless Oriole game? Yeah, the meaningless Oriole game. But I was still interested. More so than a Nationals game. But kudos to the Nationals. I mean, first franchise, no hitter. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I guess they had something to the Senators, but really their first franchise, no hitter. Um, Go ahead, Jake. Well, we got something from an official source, which is important. And this is from Ryan Wagner, who is, of course, the voice of Camden Yards, uh, the great PA announcer at Camden Yards. He says, tell your boss you you can't work between noon and 4 p.m. today. I'm serious. We need all of Baltimore locked in today. Tell him I said it's cool. That, of course, refers to, is this Friday's game? Yes, this was Friday's game. Yeah. Uh, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Ryan Wagner can write me a note any day. If you have a bow tie on, you pretty much can write notes. I've got to uh, just, uh, real quick, shout out to Ryan Wagner. The way he's been doing J.J. Hardy's yeah. uh, announcing d- during the playoff run, that's that's really awesome. You know, when you your greatest claim to fame is a pause, that tells you where you are in life. <laughs> All right, all mocking aside, I'm a big fan. Go ahead. What do you all right. next? Jake, this is on the twat, but it might be actually part of the Troy, which is Tweet of the Year. Ooh, a toy. Yeah. Toy candidate number one. Yes. This comes from Suspede's Family Barbecue, and you can follow them at Suspede's Barbecue. And it says, it's extremely ironic that I'll be spending a significant portion of my Yom Kippur thinking about Delman Young. That's delicious. Yeah, that might be the best tweet I've read all year. That, of course, refers to Delman Young, who is a um, a fan of the tribe, let's say. Yes. And he had something important happen. On Friday, yes, on Yom Kippur. All righty. Next, we have one from Stephen Wayne Pierce, the only Oriole to follow us at Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Foolish. <laughs> he tweets out, the We Won't Stop chant was the greatest sound I have ever heard in my life. Hashtag Birdland, hashtag Orioles. He's not wrong. No, I mean, that actually was a very good cheer. Um, bravo, Orioles fans, for starting that up. You know, I I was there, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. I kind of had goosebumps. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. All right, I, I hate to do it, Scott. I'm going to go back to the Nationals for oh the second God. time in this podcast. Um, you know, we, we caught a little flack from our good friend Josh Finver down in D.C. at Nat Discourse. Are you sure it's not Ryan Finver? Yes, okay. I'm pretty sure it's not Ryan Finver. Okay. Say Josh Finver? Maybe. Okay. You sure about that? No. 
Okay. I've slept in the man's bed. I don't know his first name. Right. Anyway. Um, it doesn't he, surprise me. He tweets out, congrats, Bird's Eye View and our good friends, Oriole Spastics. As for the rest of you, and a picture of a very suspicious and mistrusting-looking Homer Simpson. Yeah, he had a few beefs with some Orioles fans for calling out national fans. Yeah, this probably warrants getting Josh on the podcast to talk about it in long form because I, he asked a question on Twitter uh, about why Orioles fans have such a distaste for the Nationals. I was like, dude, you can't put that in 140 no. characters. Nobody's going to be happy with any answer. So, Josh, we'll have you on after your season is over. So, by the end of this week. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, what else you got? <laughs> um, Jake, how did how did you miss this today? Steve Molesky posts today on, you can follow I, him at Mass and Steve. His remember fans can welcome the Orioles home at 3.30 at Canyon Yards at Home Plate Pass. So, Jake, why weren't you there this afternoon? I that, The first I had heard of it was when I read this tweet. I suck at life, apparently. Evidently, I'm, I'm a terrible fan. You didn't get your uh, MLB at bat at notification saying this was going on? I must not have. Now, it, it drew from what I saw on Twitter, and I believe everything I read on Twitter because it's all French models reporting the real truth. But Oui, oui. <laughs> Bonjour. Um <laughs> I read that there was about a thousand people there uh, waiting for the Orioles at the plaza. A thousand people. Let's let's just say the numbers a thousand. Yeah. A thousand people at three thirty on a Monday afternoon to welcome a team coming home. What do you think of that? I think it's great. I mean, I think you know Buck's comment was, you know, it's great to see them out there, but I'm not surprised because that's how awesome our or how great our fans are. So again, I, I think it's great. Hubaldo um, Jimenez actually had a video talking on his camera and he posted it up. Um, and you could just see the players kind of excited and happy to see that kind of reception. I mean, I figured, I guess they figured there'd be like a dozen or so people, but I don't think they expected a thousand people just to just show up whenever throughout the day and be like, hey, I got nothing else to do. I'm going to go down there and cheer, my, cheer the Orioles on. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is a guy who's beaten up the fan base all year for their, their showing up or not. Um, I got to say, a Monday afternoon is is tough to make happen, especially if you were going to games and all the other stuff. Bravo, Orioles fans. Bravo. I think that that, that makes a great statement, and I'm not surprised. Uh, one last thing I've got for the twat, and this comes, well, we're going to start with Rock Kabako, who tweets at Mass and Rock, and we're going to go right into Courtney Britton's response. Here's the tweet from Rock. Got to give Courtney Britton props for running with the We Won't Stop slogan. Labor-induced tonight, so Zach back for game one. Put that on a t-shirt. The response? LOL, you're welcome. Thumbs up. That's a team player right there. It's a team player. Yep. 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 She gets it. She knows what's going on. She knows when to come in and close. <laughs> Obviously, we wish the best for the Britton family, but I'm also really glad that we're going to have our closer when we need him in game one. Yes. Now, of course, we'll need him in game one because we're going to be going on to the ALCS. We had quite ourselves a series. Let's talk about it. Chim chim a sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Chim chim a chim 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 Good luck will rub off when I shake hands with you. Or blow me a kiss. And that's lucky too. Now as the ladder of life has been strung, you might think a sweep's on the bottom most rung. Though I spends me time in the ashes and smoke, in this old wide world there's no happier bloke. Chim chiminy, chim chiminy, chim chim cherry. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. 
So, Jake, uh, the Orioles have swept the Detroit Tigers in the ALDS. Um, let's just say that my projection last week of uh, the Orioles losing to the Tigers in five games was, um, well, it was completely wrong. Well, I was also wrong when I said that the Orioles would win uh, in four games. Yeah, well, you were a lot closer than I was, so um, kudos, I guess. Look, you called it a homer pick, and that's fine. I, I believe this wholeheartedly. If the Orioles can get past the Tigers, who had every last advantage on paper, I feel like the Orioles' ceiling is is just... To the moon. You can't even see it. Yeah. I, I really was afraid of the Tigers' series because I, I felt like it could have gone either way. That was the one team you did not want to play. Yeah. Both teams could have swept. Both teams could have won in five. Like, there, there was just no way to look at it analytically, dispassionately, and say dude, we're boned, or dude, we got this. There, there was just no way to do it, and I'm glad it ended up the way it did, but whew, I, I really feel like we dodged a bullet with a very good team. I agree with you. Um, you know, dodged a bullet, but you know, the Orioles did play well. But you know what really struck me was how awesome the game times were from, by Major League Baseball. <laughs> are you being serious? If By serious, you mean, oh my God, what the heck are you doing, Major League Baseball? I'm so glad to hear that. Please, but pray continue. Let me prop up your soapbox and and fan you while you do it, sir. Look, I, I understand there is a situation here where Major League Baseball does not want games overlapping, but it's absolutely ridiculous. There's no reason um, why you can have games overlapping. For example, I was watching the Nationals and um, Giants game earlier this weekend, and there was nothing else on from a baseball perspective. So I'm like, well, I, don't really, I just want to kind of flip between this back and forth. So I flip between that and... And the Sandlot, and a movie that I've seen about a thousand times. If there was another Major League Baseball game going on, I'd be flipping between that and the other game back and forth, back and forth. I don't understand Major League Baseball's need to not have overlapping games. I'd rather see them in prime time and have two or three games playing similar to like a March Madness style than to have a game have to be every three or four hours and miss two of these games. Well, let, let me ask you. I'm sorry, I didn't go ahead. Cut no, you no, off. no. Let, let me ask you this: If you're TBS. And more importantly, if you're TBS's uh, advertisers, how do you feel about paying for a product that's going to take place at 1 o'clock on a Friday? Who is watching television at 1 o'clock on a weekday? Um, I guess the same people that watch High Heat on Major League Baseball. Right. That that They're paying a primo price for a crap time yeah. slot. I, I don't quite understand it, uh, you know. I understand to a certain degree what trying to get the West Coast markets in there to be able to watch their games. But even then, you're basically let's go back to the Washington Giants game. They played at three o'clock, which means the San Francisco market has to watch at twelve o'clock. You basically just threw out the San Francisco market and you just threw out the Detroit market from watching during a primetime game. It makes no sense whatsoever on how Major League Baseball did this. Yeah, and and this is not even a, an instance of me saying, oh, the Orioles are not getting national respect because we're playing in the afternoon. Or blah, 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 blah. No, it's not about that. This is about, like, you know, we keep having this narrative of, oh, baseball is a dying sport and nobody watches baseball, blah, 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 blah. It'd be awfully nice if baseball did something to make it easy for people to watch the ball game Because 1 o'clock here on the East Coast, it's the morning for the West Coast. Yeah. It's a weekday morning. Yeah. I, I joked about who watches baseball at one o'clock on a on a workday. You know who watches in the mid morning in a weekday. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they have to do start looking at this and start making decisions whether they can have overlapping games or not. I don't see any reason why they can't do overlapping games because 
it happens on a day in and day out basis for 162 games. I don't understand why all of a sudden during the division series that it has to be different. And and if you're worried that nobody's going to watch the series anyway because the the big markets, you know, New York and Boston aren't in the in the, in the playoffs, I get that. But then make some concessions to put all these games in the evening and see what happens with right. the ratings. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm I'm 100% with you. All right, but Jake, we really didn't get to watch the TV broadcast too much because we were at game 1 and we were at game 2. Um so I you know, we could recap these games, but honestly, folks, that'd be really boring. And that is what year one of Bird's Eye View would have done. <laughs> We're in year three. Jake, let's just reminisce about our personal feelings because people really care about our personal feelings. Well, first of all, I mean, the energy in the ballpark was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I don't want to take for granted. And I, I hope that the Orioles continue to be good forever. And I hope that we never have another 14-year lull. But that feeling that I got in the first inning when I looked around during game one, I mean, I got to be honest, it got dusty mm-hmm. because it didn't hit me until mid inning. The first thing Tillman came in and was throwing smoke 96 mile per hour. Again, and, super highly increased, you know, running on adrenaline pumped up and everything. I mean, 96 mile per hour for Tillman is unbelievable. Yeah. But the inning ends and we're in commercial break and I'm looking around at a sea of orange and everybody's on their feet. And it is literally like, the the stadium was rocking in a way I hadn't seen in a time of inactivity. And I just thought to myself, I was like, take this in. This is real life. This is happening. And uh, it, obviously the game just got better from that point on. But I was really struck by the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think the atmosphere is something to be cherished. Um, Jake, I'm going to pop away from game one really quickly. I want to go to game two. Um, because, you know, game two was a very frustrating slash satisfying day for you. And I normally don't like to give you a soapbox and have you talk, but I think this was a good instance for you to get there because I took the whole day off on Friday. Um, I went down there and had lots of drinks. Um, that sounds so unlike you. Yeah, it, what can I say? I just basically walked around Fed Hill. Um, I went to multiple bars, Nobles, Rope Walk, um, Banditos, and just tried various drinks from gin and tonics to margaritas to beers and everything. So, hey, you just didn't make sure you got the right one. That's all. Right. I just want to be well covered. Play yeah. in the field. Yeah, exactly. Nothing wrong with that. But, Jake, you had to stay at work till 11 o'clock. Yeah. So, I work in, in Harford County and I had to, uh, had to stay at work till 11. <laughs> I had a meeting to run, uh, at 10. So, I ran out of the building like it was on fire at 11 o'clock. I actually stopped and, and picked up your wife. And the two of us drove down, and it's just, it's amazing that she's still friends with me, um, because we drove down and we got. She never was friends with you, but that's another point. <laughs> so we got down to the city, you know, thirty five, forty minutes later, whatever it was, um, and we had about twenty minutes to go until game time. And from getting off the ramp to the time that we finally found a parking space in Pigtown, we were at, we were in there a good hour because the traffic congestion was awful. Every parking garage was full. I mean, it was just, it was a ridiculous thing to expect that we could get a, a place to park, you know, within 20 minutes of game time or get around easily. But there's no question Baltimore could hold the Olympics. <laughs> it was incredibly frustrating. <laughs> it was incredibly frustrating listening to a playoff game that I had a ticket to sitting in my back pocket while stuck in traffic it was it was awful so, especially coming off of game number one in the magical experience that right. it was game one so it's just like what am i missing oh my gosh i'm missing all this ambiance and atmosphere so i'm pissed yes i'm really pissed and we finally found a, a spot in in, in pigtown parked 
walked across them trying not to race. Did you have to do some parallel parking? Yeah. yeah. Was it was it premium parallel parking? Or? Ask ask your wife and and she says you know how to navigate into tight spaces. Uh, well, you know it's it's a little bit of that. Okay. But so we finally get there. As I walk into the building, Marquez's home run happens. I'm a little pissed because I'm on Utah Street when that happens. All right. So I've already missed a great thing. Yes. Really funny thing. Let me just take a segue because I've, I've told the story out of order. While I was trying to find a parking space, some guy coming the other way from me got stuck, you know, next to me in traffic. So his driver's side window is next to my driver's side window. He rolls his window down. He goes, what's with all this traffic? And I swear to God, I was like, really? Really? But I was so far north looking for a place to park that he said, oh, I would have thought it would have been uh, fine from here. I'm actually going to the game. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. After Marquez's home run, I'm on Utah Street. I look to my left, and that guy is right next to That's me. That's pretty cool. And he says, did we just score? I look up at the scoreboard. He's like, yeah. Two. Whoa, you're the guy from the street. He goes, yeah. you're the guy from the street. It was funny. So we get to the seats. I'm pissed. It's it's a not good day for me so far. And then the horrible thing happens. Chen blows up. The Tigers take a lead. A commanding league. Verlander looks like he's in charge. The Orioles can't get anything going. Anibal Sanchez, Anibal Sanchez comes in. He's in charge. The Orioles can't get anything going. And I'm thinking, oh, great. This horrible day is going to end with the Orioles losing to the Tigers. They're going to go back to Detroit. The series is going to be tied one-to-one. Who knows what's going to happen from here on so, out. So I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to give you a number just to break up this monotony of Jake's story. So, Jake, after Victor Martinez hit that double in the eighth inning to put the Royals, uh, not the Royals, the Tigers up 6-3 to three in the top of the eighth, the Orioles only had a 6.6% chance of winning. 6.6%. It felt smaller in my heart. Right. Well, I actually thought it would be bigger, but based on the win probability, it was 6.6% for the Orioles to win that game. The way my day was going, it wasn't a day for positivity. Right. So there I was having this awful day, and then the eighth inning happened. I have never, ever had a better day at the ballpark, and I think my 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 bad start amplified the good vibes of that eighth inning the following day scott i was sore my throat was sore but more importantly like my arms and and like muscles ached from having celebrated and tensed up and released it's like you had a workout for the first time i I was i was an old broken man the following day that game was so amazing because of of how negatively the day had started out for me, and I I just had such a good time at the ballpark. I mean, you know, Orioles magic is a thing that that is so you know cliche at this point, but I lived it in game two. It was really awesome. So let me come back. You know, we always talk about games from your past. Um, you know, the, the Cal Statue game from 2012 was one game that is always a big game, both in our hearts because of just what it meant at the time for the 2012 Orioles. Um, but you also have ALDS game number two from the 2012 series, um, which again was one of the loudest games ever at Camden Yards. Jake, um, are you really saying that game two of this ALDS game might have been better than those two? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know if you had the same experience, but watching the runs tick in one by one during Delman Young's bases clearing double was, was pure elation. Because you figured... Okay, if he gets a hit here, we can chip away and we can, you know, we can start to build this inning. One run comes in. Two runs comes in. You watch, of course, of course, when Windmill sends JJ Hardy yes. because he loves to troll us like yes. that. 
J.J. Hardy with a refrigerator on his back, which has Matt Wieters inside of it holding a cinder block, comes around third base and he actually scores, and the place goes ballistic. Yeah, the improbability of the event is one of the reasons why the place exploded so much. Um, I, I always find in baseball that it's either the improbability or knowing that something is about to happen. I'm going to come back to 2013 in opening day, um, and Chris Davis comes to the plate, and everyone knows that Chris Davis is about to hit a grand slam home run. And it's it's not a question of you know where he, he's going to hit it. It's yes. just he just everyone stands up and starts cheering, knowing that we're about to see a home run happen because of how hot he is at that moment. And sure enough, Chris Davis hits a home run. Hey, he's a good looking dude. Well, oh, he, oh, you okay? Yeah. And again, it's that either expectation of something is about to happen or that improbability that makes the stands come alive. That really is what makes baseball so romantic. Um, and again, it was a really romantic game. Like I said, the Orioles only had a 6% chance to win that game going into the top of the eighth. And to come back, and after Delman Young's double, they moved all the way up to having an 87.8% chance of winning. The fact that J.J. Hardy scored from first base to give us the go-ahead run was so amazing that it knocked Nelson Cruz down and caused him to do a barrel roll backwards in order to try to stabilize himself. Can, can we talk about the other amazing thing that happened in that inning? Sure. Actually happened before that inning. Okay. Chamberlain coming into that game. Yeah. And the reception he got from the Cannon Yards crowd yep. was pretty awesome. Yeah, Joba Chamberlain definitely got a good reception of uh, cheers and also a good Joba chant going on. I don't think I've ever seen a reliever be cheered and celebrated for coming into the game. And why didn't it dawn on Brad Ausman is saying, maybe this is a bad idea. The best part was that he tipped his hat to the crowd. Yes. <laughs> He's like, thanks, guys. Like, I thought that I, I dreamed that when it happened. I turned, I think I turned to Jason and said, did, did, did he just tip his cap? Yeah. That's, uh, you know you're in a guy's head when. But I, I totally agree with you. Game two was an unbelievable game. It's a moment in Orioles playoff history that will, um, be something that honestly we'll remember for all time. Um, we'll be able to tell our kids that happened. And unfortunately, Delman Young is going to have to be in that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's go through the rest of the series. Um, you know, you had some great um, starting performances from Tillman and Norris. Tillman, eh, he only got through five innings. But again, I think it was still a pretty decent performance. Chen, he, he started out on a good note, and he he set the tone right. for that game. Yeah, Chen had a bad outing. Let's let's come back to that. Chen had a really bad outing. Um, not too surprising, considering the Tigers' ability to hit off the left-handers, though. So, you know, Chen was really good for the first three innings, and then the fourth inning, it was, boom, goes the dynamite. And I, I was glad to see that the crowd applauded him for what he had done that season rather than how he had performed that day. Right. That was nice. But as opposed to the Tigers, the bullpen was rock solid. And there's two players that I want to pull out specific examples of why they were so amazing. Kevin Gossman had an absolutely amazing performance during game two. Um, he went out there and pitched three plus innings to basically um, not allow the bullpen to be taxed and basically shut down the Tigers during those three plus innings. Without Kevin Gossman coming in that game and keeping it within pace, there's no way that Orioles even come back and come close to basically going ahead. That's a game that easily could have got away, and it could have been, you know, 10 runs or 11 runs, and it'd been like, well, we basically flushed this one away because of Chen. Well, no, Chen put us in a bad situation, but Gossman kept us in the game, and being able to keep in this game with this Orioles team is what we need to do. This team is always 
one, you know, at bat away or one inning away from putting a crooked number up on the board and coming back. One eighth inning away. Yeah. I, look, I don't want to overstate it, but I think that Gosman might be the MVP for the series because of what happened. He was definitely a turning point. And again, I would come back and ask you this question of, based on how good Gosman was and his ability to throw strikes in the playoffs, should he be considered for the ALCS roster against the Royals? Yes. Okay. I mean, no quite yes. So would you pick Gossman over Gonzalez right now? Oh, you mean to start? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. I, I would leave him as a reliever role. I'm sorry. I thought you meant to make the roster. I said ALCS rotation. Well, then I wasn't listening to you. Okay. So you would still keep with Gonzalez and keep Gossman in the bullpen rotation? Yes. All right. Um, I might do an article about that, but there's actually a great article about um, this information on Baltimore Sports Life. I recommend going and taking taking a look at that. Um, but there's a really good argument between whether Gossman or Gonzalez is the better option. Gossman's definitely the more sabermetric route. Gonzalez is much more of the traditionalist approach. I'd still probably would stick with Gonzalez. Okay, fair enough. Um, the other person I want to target is Andrew Miller, who is absolutely filthy in Game 1 and Game 3. Game 1 coming in there and working multiple innings, and Game 3 coming in there and working multiple innings. He pitched for three and one-third innings pitch, but he pitched over two innings on each game. So he came in, shut down one inning, came in the next inning, and pitched a few more outs. You know, being able to go back into the dugout and then come right back out and still be able to deliver um, just says how good Andrew Miller is in terms of his consistency with his baseball mechanics. So kudos to Andrew Miller for continuing to be filthy throughout the playoffs. And, and again, it just goes back. Was this a good trade to make? Did we give away too much? He's making it look like no. Yeah, I also want to come back to when Tillman got into the jam. Who did they go to? They went right to Andrew Miller. Yeah, Buck basically said, "If I need to get out of a tough situation, I'm going to go to Andrew Miller." Um, it's almost similar to you know what you would do for a closer back in the day in the 70s and 80s. Of all right, we need a shutdown guy. Go to my guy though. That's my best reliever, which nowadays would be your closer. But in this case, Andrew Miller really is that we need to get out of a jam in the sixth or seventh inning. Go to our best reliever. That's Andrew Miller right now. Sure. Do you mind if I talk about the offense for a minute? Go ahead. All right. So I, you can't really talk about the offense without talking about the eighth innings. I mean, the eighth innings for game one and game two were just ridiculous. It was 12 runs of eight uh, of eight inning baseball. Just to put that into perspective, Jake, we scored 12 runs during the eighth inning. The Tigers only scored 11 runs during the entire series. And I, I think I saw a stat, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think I saw a stat that the Orioles only scored 10 runs in the ALDS in 2012. Does that sound right? That sounds right to me, yes. So they scored more in the eighth innings alone than they did throughout. That's that's crazy. You remember how desperate they were for hits in that ALDS in 2012? Yep. yep, exactly. So... Um, thank God the Orioles bats came alive during this uh, ALCS. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just goes back to the formula. The starting pitchers keep it close. If the starting pitchers falter for any reason, the bullpen comes on and holds holds it, and then the offense finally will get going. And I, I think that you have to trust this offense at any time of the game. I I do have one question for okay. you. I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to make too much of a mountain of a molehill. It was only three games. Call me out if I'm being stupid. Adam Jones had a quiet series offensively. He also disappeared offensively in 2012. Is this a reason for concern or am I being ridiculous? You're being absolutely ridiculous. All right. Tell me why. All right. Jones right now is doing a great job of really getting on base. Um, he got on base right before Cruz did during the ALDS game number three. So he was on there for the two-run homer. So that's a run right there. With a walk, right? Yes, with a walk. Um, he also had a hit and a hit by pitch in game two, leading to two runs starting the rally in the eighth inning. And reached on an error. Yep. Well, that was game one. 
Okay. Game one, he reached on an error in the eighth inning again, scoring another run. So he has scored four runs in this postseason in only three games. That places him as second in this postseason, right behind Nelson Cruz, who's leading the postseason with five runs. Okay. I consider that to be a pretty good show. Has he had any major clutch hits? No. But he is getting on base and he is going and scoring runs. And again, that's the kind of catalyst and extractor that you want in the middle of your lineup right now. And really, if your guy behind Richie right now, which is Nelson Cruz, is smashing the ball as well he is, as he is, I really have no issue with it. Do you think, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, do you think it's possible that some of this is Adam Jones checking his ego at the door and becoming the setting of the table for Nelson Cruz and the rest of the lineup in a way that maybe he hasn't done in the past? The interesting thing about the Jones at bats was during the first game when he was going against Scherzer, he was very aggressive. And I really feel like in game two and game three, he really tailed that back a lot and really changed his play discipline and took a much more cautious and tried to draw pitches out. I think he saw how much of a difference it is to get into that bullpen. Um, and I'm not saying that's entirely what Jones is doing, but I definitely think that Jones is being a little bit more disciplined at the plate and allowing other people to take the handle and say, I don't have to hit this home run to win the game. I just need to make my tiny contribution, whatever it may be. All right. You talked about Buck Showalter doing Buck Showalter things with his uh, management of the bullpen, which has always been highly uh, evaluated. He's also shown what he can do with a bench, not only with the bench that Dan Duquette has provided him, and I think this series really showed the value of Dan Duquette, but the bench did big things and showed its value. David Lowe as a defensive replacement. Delman Young as a pinch hitter. Yeah. This this was really, I think, a, a series that showed all the, the little things that the Orioles can do well. And I think these are things that will translate into later rounds as well. Sure. I mean, I, I agree with you. Not to mention the Orioles were able to make many uh, changes also in that lineup, especially after Delman Young cleared the bases, they brought Kelly Johnson in as well. They basically recycled it through and said, okay, we're going to be putting in bench players that we think can get these these timely hits right now, and we'll readjust the defense as necessary. The Orioles have one of the better benches in Major League Baseball going into this playoff, so Buck is going to have to use that. Um, Buck did some great managerial things. However, I do have one what-if. All right, quibble away. I, I this is my it. one quibble. Um, you know, Buck has been getting praised, heaped on him by everybody. And, you know, I'm one of the first ones that say Buck did an amazing job during the series. But game one did concern me a little bit. Um, you know, you Tillman did not have to go very long in that. You had Miller come in, and then you had O'Day come in, and then Britton came in in the eighth inning. And I really am curious on um, what would have happened if the Orioles did not get that eight-run eighth inning, and it would have been four to three, and how Britton would have responded coming into the ninth inning to save that game with only one run. It's not like something Burton has done very often of coming in during the eighth inning and then coming back out in the ninth inning. It's a very odd scenario, and I'm not sure how Burton would have done. Part of me says, Burton, at the beginning of the season, pitched multiple innings and was perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But that was back in April. I just, I'm just curious on just seeing how that would have done. We'll never know because the Orioles scored eight runs and it basically eliminated any, any issue there being. But it was... An interesting movement in the bullpen by Buck, and I really like some of the moves. The only move I didn't like was bringing in Britton in the eighth inning. Uh, I can't argue with anything you just said right there. I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. I will, I will say, and not in defense of Buck, but just to throw the counterweight out there, one of the critiques of Buck Showalter can be he can do it almost too much by the book, 
and being willing in the playoffs to bring your closer in for four outs where you've only done three the entire season brings back that whole, I'm trying to win this game and I'm trying to do it right now and damn the torpedoes, we need our closer and we need them now. So you might be right and that might be the complete wrong call, but the aggressiveness and the willing to roll the dice in October, which is what he keeps preaching about, right. you know, there there may be some something to that. Like I said, I it might have been the right call. It was just odd. And when it happened, I just thought it was odd. Um, you know, speaking of odd managerial choices, um, the individuals that we're playing with uh, in the next series um, definitely have had some managerial issues throughout the year and in their recent wildcard game. Let's go talk to, you know, someone from behind enemy lines about weird manager choices and what we're looking forward to in the upcoming week. I like it. So as the Orioles move on to uh, host Kansas City, um, Orioles fans have to ask themselves just how dangerous or frightening is this Royals team? To get an educated opinion, which is very different from what is normally on this podcast, we brought in Clint Scholes of Pine Tar Press and the Pine Tar Press podcast. First off, Clint, congratulations on the magical season that has been the Kansas City Royals. Um, You have struck a chord with us Baltimore Orioles fans of, you know, it's great to see another small market team do so well um, this year. And, uh, you know, it's really reminiscent of our 2012 season when the Orioles came off of 14 losing seasons and got into the playoffs for the first time in a long time. But, um, you know, just congratulations. It's just been a great season for both of our clubs. Well, hey, it's, it's you know, congrats to you guys. Uh, you guys have done this a few more times than us, obviously, but... Not that many more times. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a fun season and a fun ride, and... Uh, you know, hopefully, it's nice that it's us two that are are challenging to go to the World Series and not the Tigers in there or somebody like that. We don't want to talk about the Tigers. We don't want to talk about those big market teams. Let's talk about small market teams and let's talk about a small market culture. You know, between 1998 and 2011, um, the Orioles were pretty much the laughing stock of Major League Baseball. Um, they were constantly bottom dwellers in the American League East. And um, well, let's just say Baltimore fans fell out of uh, content with them, and they kind of became the back burner team, especially with the Baltimore Ravens coming into Baltimore. Um, has the culture in Kansas City started to change this season? Um, throughout the season, with a love or a up, oh, I remember the Royals. I'm going to start coming back to those games this season, or has this been a slowly building thing throughout several seasons now? I think it's been. I, I guess I talk in in a little bit different perspective because I cover the minor league so much more than most people do. So for me, it's been building for a long time. I mean, I've, my love of the team has never wavered like most people, but I've seen it coming down the road. And then the all-star game a couple years ago, I think at least changed the opinion of the ownership. The ownership, when they took over after Kaufman died and then they, after the trust was ran the team for a while, David Glass was never a Royals fan. He was a businessman. And it took until the All-Star game just two years ago to see that, hey, 
there's 40,000 people in the stands to watch Will Myers take at AB in the Futures game. This city is a base, baseball town that's bubbling. And for so long, it was just Chiefs, just Kansas basketball, college stuff, that kind of stuff. But on the underbelly, it was always there. There was always this love for this team because from the 70s and 80s, the Royals were a great team. They were kind of the, I don't want to say the Braves before the Braves, but they were really were. Sure Holtz ran that team. That team made seven playoff games in like 10, 12 years. And, and then they just went dormant. And then uh, the All-Star game came, and now here we are. And, and I think the city is falling back in love like fully, and it's a great to see. Well, let me let me ask you this. Um, when a team like the 2014 Royals, or as Scott alluded to earlier, the 2012 Orioles, find success, I feel that the national baseball media finds as many ways as they can to provide backhanded compliments. Um, with the Orioles in 2012, it was a reference to their record in one run and extra inning games, which is their best way of evoking the word luck without actually saying it. Um what has driven you crazy about the way the national baseball media has framed the narrative around this Royals team? For me personally, and like I said, I'm a little bit different than this is and Kansas city is very sabermetric. Um, you know, it's the sabermetric capital of baseball is where Bill James came from. So even the Royals fans have a real disdain for this team, but I think, if you look at these two teams that are left in the AL, everybody in baseball and the Sabermetric fans, and the, Sa- the fans of Sabermetrics and the actual writers of it have missed something. The athleticism in the game as power has come down is the market. You know, that's the new market inefficiency. That's where you can find it. And guys like Lorenzo Cain and Andrew Jones out there running down balls in center field, Alex Gordon in left field. So the Royals, while they don't, they don't get on base. They don't draw walks. They don't do all that stuff that the Oakland A's and the others do, but they go run down the ball, and they do it, and they prevent runs, and that's why this team is not a good offensive team, has 89 wins. They pitch it, and they run it down, and I think you're going to see that that game, that 70s, 80s game, I think is going to become more in vogue, and even the Giants, they won a couple of World Series, I think, but what people miss with the Giants is that they played really good defense in those games, and they pitched it very well. And so, I think both these teams in the ALCS is what they do very well that gets missed. And and probably what is also missed there is that these are are things that can be done well cheaply. You know, this is not mm-hmm. the type of deal where you need to have nine guys on the field being paid twenty million dollars each. You, you can find those, you know, market inefficiency breakers, as you as you called it, uh, a lot cheaper than that. So I, I just want to go back to something you said because I find that very interesting. Scott and I uh, have basically a weekly argument about the value and the right place in baseball of the sabermetric slant and the focus on the numbers. Uh, he he looks at the game in, in a very uh, number oriented way, in a very nuanced way, yes. where he takes numbers and allows them to inform his opinion of the game. Uh, I basically bleed baseball out of every orifice I can find. So it's a it's a you slaughter cows and see which way the blood splatter goes to tell you what's going to happen. In the it's next a series. hackneyed <laughs> discussion here at this point, but it's interesting to to hear that that basically uh, you're describing your own fan base as one that uh, has managed to let the life and 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 vibrance and fun be sucked out of the playoffs that must be awesome for you guys well they have but at the i mean they did throughout the year 
there was a ba- there's a battle, a daily. I'm sure you guys have it on Twitter. There's a daily battle of what players' weaknesses are. And, and listen, the Royals, many players do have major weaknesses. But in short series, what these guys do really well can shine through. And and why you say that, oh, they must be sucking. No, nobody. This is everybody threw that stuff. The second they beat the White Sox and clinched, that stuff all went out the window and everybody's just enjoying the ride because they, you know, unlike you guys, you guys made the playoffs. You did have your long drought, but you made the playoffs at a couple different times. We never had that. <laughs> 29 years. I was seven the last time they won the World Series. And so we'll take whatever this ride keeps going. And it was amazing. I was at last night's game and the atmosphere. I've been to a lot of cool sporting events, but nothing like that. Well, let's talk about that for a second because I, I teased you about the uh, about sucking the life out. But I actually want to say that when I watched the playoff games uh, at Kauffman Stadium, and not at Comerica Park, yeah, <laughs> it, it was incredible. It was it was really incredible. And and the thing this is going to sound weird, but uh, I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan. But I mean, are you a fan of the Boss? I, a little bit. I'm not like a diehard. I don't follow around so, the country or something. Neither are we. So everything. I own a couple songs on iTunes. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> everything you read about that "Born to Run" uh, album, especially the the single, is that you can hear the desperation in his voice. Right when he when he's belting out that song, you can hear the the desperation of an artist who's about to get dropped from his label. This is his last chance. It's all or nothing. He's got to do it. And I kind of feel that that desperation from the crowds at Cannon Yards and Coffin Stadium in the raucous roar that comes with every single and every out in a way that you don't get in Comerica Park where they do this every year. And you don't get it at Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. But I feel like the crowds and the fans at, at Kansas City have that feel of a of a kind of new baseball franchise on the rise that that is very passionate. And I, I got to say, I love watching the Kansas City games. I hate that we have to play yeah. you in the series. It's very similar to like, what if this never happens again? That's the one thing I kept saying to myself in 2012. I said, what if this never happens again? What if this is my only time in my lifetime I'm ever going to see this happen? And when the Orioles lost to the Yankees in 2012, I was just like, dear God, I'm ever going to see another playoff game ever in my life. And, uh, you know, it's great to see this again happening in Baltimore. But I mean, I just the waves of emotion that are currently going through you, you know, it's just amazing to see in, in Kansas City and Kauffman Stadium. I think it's and we talked about this for a few different episodes on our show, is that I think that's the problem with baseball in that I'm not a soccer fan at all, but soccer's huge in Kansas City and they have sporting sporting KC and people go out there 18,000 strong and it's nonstop chance and cheering the whole game. And I don't know what your guys' view of soccer, but mine is that it's a very boring sport, but somehow they get the crowd involved throughout the entire game. And that's why I see Baltimore and Kansas city in the crowd like that. That's what baseball should be. It shouldn't be just sitting on your, on your butt the whole game. And, that's why I think where they get it over in Japan and the Dominican Republic and they make it fun and they make it. And I think that's what's happened to baseball is that they've kind of taken that golf mentality, that kind of stuffy mentality for the fans, not for you and I, but for the everyday Joe. I mean, you guys and, and I and David that's on my show, we're passionate. You don't have to do anything for the fans for us to watch. We'll watch regardless. But for the everyday Joe, 
making, you know, 15 bucks an hour. He wants to be entertained, and he doesn't know the nuances of the game, so that doesn't excite him. But if you gave him a beer and you gave him, a, you know, a thunder stick or a rally monkey or whatever you toss at him, and you tell him to scream for three hours, he'll be entertained. But the baseball in general doesn't do that, and I think that's why they're missing the every take, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry that watch, watch the game. All right, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to use those deadly, dastardly numbers that uh, Jake hates to bring up. <laughs> run, run. Yeah. Um, so let's come run, back run, run. Let's come back to the offense, and let's talk about the Royals. Um, you know, I was looking at the numbers for the Royals, and I was absolutely shocked that the Royals were dead last in terms of their walk rate in Major League Baseball. Um, and again, I knew coming into the series that they were, you know, dead last in home runs. And I just raised the question of, you know, right now their offensive production puts them right in the middle of the league. But, you know, with being one of the worst teams in terms of walks and really one of the worst teams in terms of hitting home runs, how is this team so good offensively? Well, you've seen it. You've watched the games. They they get hits. They, they're a pretty decent hitting team and making contact, which they have fast players. So I haven't looked up the stats of, of this, but I assume that with Nori Aoki, Alcides Escobar, and Lorenzo Cain, they lead the league probably in infield singles. And they probably get on more than average in airs. And then they can run. And they're a pretty good hitting team with runners in scoring positions. So that's how they've scored runs. They're faster than most teams. They steal more bases than any base. They're extremely efficient at stealing bases, too. They steal them at nearly an 82% clip, which, you know, in the major leagues, that's what you're striving for as a player. When a whole team can do that, that means they're running, but the right guys are running. So that's that's helped them overperform what their actual numbers are. You know, you look at the surface, they don't walk at all. That's been the big downfall of this organization for a long time. They don't walk and they don't for hit for any power. But when they get on base, they make it happen. And so that's they're playing above their head offensively right now. But we'll see. We'll see. In a short series, anything can happen. Well, that's exactly right. In a short series, anything can happen. Um, let me come back and ask you this, um, this is getting away from the numbers and more going back towards, you know, you know, non-descriptive things, but, you know, Ned Yost was killed this past week after that wild card uh, decision to pull, um, shields out and put Ventura in there. And, uh, Ventura of course gave up the home run. Um, Yost has been destroyed in the national media throughout this entire season and also by some, you know, Kansas city papers and Kansas city blogs. Is Ned Yost really that bad of a manager, or is this just overblown? He's a traditionalist, and Kansas City's a forward-thinking baseball town. So if you stick to traditional means, then you will get crushed when they blow up, and that's what happens. That's what hashtag Yost did. That's been our hashtag for three years. You know, it's it's not just something new. It's the guy who won't pitch Calvin Herrera before the sixth inning for a long time. He goes to a bad pitcher that we've watched be bad for quite a number of years and not be bad, but slowly his career has declined in Aaron Crow. Then a home run happens and we got Yosted. Giordano Ventura, that was a move I liked. Giordano Ventura is our most talented pitcher on the roster. Oh, there's I no mean, doubt about that. Yeah. Pure, yeah, and a pure talent base. So I didn't mind it myself. A lot of people hated it. He'd never done it. He'd never really relieved just one time, one appearance ever. And so I got it, but it blew up. It didn't. And 
for most games, that would have been the kiss of death. This offense, though, bailed him out, and you got to give him credit. And the biggest problem, I think, between him and Buck is in explaining moves that he, he makes. Buck Walter, if he makes a move, he has no problem explaining it to the media. And that's because I think he takes value in what those guys do as a job, where Yost doesn't. He he doesn't want to talk to the media. It's something he's forced into doing. So when he explains a, a reason, it usually comes out totally wrong. And, <laughs> and so then for, he gets Yosted. For Buck, it sometimes just comes off as very snarky. But besides that, he does have a generally a good excuse. He'll just mock the uh, reporter if necessary to uh, prove his point. Well, I, and but yeah. you know, to your point, Buck was a member of the media for four years, yeah. whereas you know Yost has been just a baseball guy. Uh, through and through. So I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, it's probably a great uh, truth there. Now, the one thing... It, it is, and real quick, Yost is a really good guy. I've interviewed him a couple times, and he understands numbers, but he he flat told us one time that we had, they had a blogger event where all the bloggers came, and we asked him about using his closer before that, before the eighth, ninth inning and, and out of sequences. And he said, hey, it's a great idea. It, the numbers support it, but I won't do it. Uh, you won't catch me doing it because I basically said I don't trust my job well enough to do it. So at least he's honest. That's a little concerning, though, that he says he doesn't trust his job to do it. I mean, <laughs> you feel like you have to have some cojones, especially when you're going into a playoff series, to be like, I'm going to go to the guy that I trust the most. And no matter what inning it is or what situation it is, I mean, that comes back to Ventura. I think he had the most amount of faith in Ventura to come in there and shut it down. Fortunately, like you said, it blew up, and maybe the statistics didn't back it up, but it does sound like he sticks to what his gut tells him to do, and he goes with it. And the club has 89 wins to show for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it. Tony LaRusso is the only one with the colonies to do that kind of stuff. I mean, even Buck's pretty traditional. He, he might use, you know, your guys' closer for four outs, but how often does he turn to him for two innings? Sure. It's it's that's just how it is. That's the name of the game. And, and these guys, that's how they are. So I, it stinks for us that like numbers and, and don't think roles really matter quite as much, but it is, it is what it is. All right. Well, uh, I can't stress enough how I, I'm, I'm bummed that we have to play Kansas city. I'm bummed that it's one of these two teams that has to go down. Cause again, it, I've, I've enjoyed so much watching the, the Royals play this part of the, the postseason. But now we have to get to the hard questions. Um, what makes you think that your team can beat the Baltimore Orioles in the ALCS? Are you smack talking right here? No, 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 no. This is not smack talk. <laughs> what makes you think? Well, we've already beat you four out of seven times this year. Okay, so, that, that was in April I, though, so it's a little different. I mean, well, no, let's uh, let, let's let's be fair though. You're talking about Ventura being the best pitcher on your staff. Absolutely true. He he blanked the Orioles earlier this season. So, sure. you know, certainly Ventura has shown versus the Orioles and the rest of the AL that he, on any given day, can go out and throw a two-hitter. You're right. And also the Tigers beat us out of six as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're, we're arguing in front of you. We don't like to do that in front of the kids. Go ahead. What makes you think that the, uh, the Royals can beat Baltimore and will shut up? Um. You know, for the same reason that you guys think you'll beat us, that I don't think our team will make mistakes, we'll play good defense, we'll run down balls, we've got a good pitching staff, and we've got a great bullpen, and we'll get the timely hits when we need to get them because we've gotten them so far. I think 
the thing that these guys, that maybe you guys don't understand with some of these guys, and I have a different perspective, Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and all these guys, they came up winning championships. One in 08 at single A, one in 2010 at double A. Well, they've won back-to-back uh, PCL titles, uh, three out of four PCL titles, and back-to-back triple uh, A national titles. They're winners. This is all they care about. And they care about winning, and, and I think they're a different group. And that, so that's why I have confidence um, that it'll be a great series, and it ultimately we'll win in six. All right, so you got the Royals in six. That's fine. That, that's fine. Uh, anything in particular about the Orioles, other than just the converse of everything that you just said, that, that scares you about playing Baltimore? Well, I mean, you got big-time power that we don't have on it, during a season at least. Uh, I think you got plenty of players. I mean, everything that I just said, you, you guys can say as well. You got good players all over the diamond. You got Adam Jones in center field is just as good as Lorenzo Cain at going and flagging down balls. You got big time power in Nelson Cruz. And like our team, I think you guys have underrated starters that people just probably don't give the credit credit for that just like the Royals. I mean and you got a lights out bullpen just like we do. So yeah. like, the two teams are so mirror image that it's gonna be a good a very good series. That's exactly what that's exactly the way I think of it is if you look at these two teams and you look at these two fan bases it is almost a near image of each other, and it's really scary just looking at it. The Really, the only difference I see between them is the Royals have speed and the Orioles have power, and it's going to be a question of what's going to overcome. Is power going to overcome or is speed going to overcome? It's Superman versus the Flash. I mean, it's yeah. as simple as that. I think it's a great baseball series for a baseball traditionalist. Um, this is going to be a great series. If you're just looking for home runs and mashing and stuff like that, I don't think this is going to be the series for you. I think it'll be very interesting to see a lot of small ball, and I think that small ball is going to be what determines which team goes forward in this series. Yeah, and ultimately, you guys have a major edge at manager. I mean, let's face it. And I think for Orioles fans, I think that's where you got to have a lot of confidence that your guy's going to make the right the right move and our guy's going to make the wrong move. That's That's what scares me, but... But like well, I said, I have a lot of belief in these players because I've watched them for so long. Well, it's actually interesting, again, too, because the one thing that I always think is interesting is if you go back to the sabermetric stats and you look at, um, you know, Zip's projections to throughout the beginning of the year and through, you know, yearly composites, the Royals are actually rated higher in terms of winning the series than the Orioles. They have a 60% chance to win this series as opposed to the Orioles with a 40% chance to win this series just based off of talent and, you know, yearly regression. But based off a of year-to-date, that number completely flips, and the Orioles are 60% favored and 40% favored, which just tells me this thing's a whole coin flip. I agree with you. It's going to go seven games, and it's going to be a question of you know, who's going to win that seventh game. Um, and you know, I'm not even going to give it the home field advantage because the home field advantage really doesn't matter. Um, I think it's coin flip 50-50, and I think either team is going to um, you know, be fortunate to get out of the series. And I think whoever wins, that other team is going to be rooting for them in the World Series as well to go beat the Dodgers, whoever they might be playing. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I uh, I can't wait. It's been so long for our two fan bases, and and you know what? Baseball deserves the electricity that the, the crowds are going to give these games. At least these first four games are going to be just insane at the two parks, and, and baseball deserves that and needs it, quite frankly. 
Sure. Well, with with all respect and and love in the world, I, I just I want to tell you I hope that I'm feeding on your tears in in a week or so. Um, but if if Oriole fans want to go and read thoughtful analysis and hear great uh, uh, podcasts about uh, the Royals, or if they want to hear uh, some tremendous sm- uh, smack talk about the series, what would you suggest that folks go uh, look up on their internets? Well, definitely head to our site, which is pinetarpress.com. Um, you can also go to royalspodcast.com, and you can find our podcast and three other Royals podcasts if you're that into the Royals. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, which is S. Clint Scholes, which is C-L-I-N-T-S-C-O-L-E-S, all one word. Great. Fantastic. Again, we encourage all the Oriole fans out there who can't get enough of this upcoming series to go ahead and go to all those places. Uh, obviously, Scott and I could never uh, put the, the Royals season and their prospects into uh, into uh, quite the perspective you could. So, Clint, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And again, good luck. Just, just I need you to fall short just a little, okay? <laughs> Uh, I I sure hope not, guys. You know, I I lay down a bet, but I don't want to send you guys any ribs, and I'm sure you guys don't want to send us any crab cakes or anything. Yeah, uh, seafood doesn't ship well. Yeah, what can I say? A World Series trip is uh, good enough for either one of our teams. Exactly. All right, well, mostly good luck. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, guys. All right, Scott. We're going to do this a little difficult, a little differently tonight. Uh, we're not going to do good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it's just not appropriate for just three games. Everything was good about this weekend, really. Right. The only thing that was ugly was my mood on game two, and they fixed it. Yeah, exactly. So there's nothing bad or ugly about this weekend. Just, just accept everything that it's a pretty wonderful time right now in Birdland. But Jake, we do need to go ahead and blow this save. Look, I've got something that's very near and dear to my heart that I want to talk about, and this is a story that came out. Uh, it, Rosenthal wrote this piece on whatever that new thing they're doing on Fox is, and it's it's entitled as thus. Sick of Red Sox-Yankees? Then watch Orioles-Royals ALCS. And by the way, the Fox thing is just a bit outside, and actually it's pretty good for a Fox newscast. Just point that out. Don't say Fox News on this podcast. Anyway, I, I won't... I won't read the whole thing to you. In fact, I really encourage you to go ahead and read it, and we're going to post the uh, post the link on the show notes. But I do want to pull out at least one paragraph, and it says as follows. It's a business, folks. Fox, Turner, and ESPN are paying a combined $12.4 billion over eight years for the rights to national baseball broadcast from 2014 to 2021. The deals also include digital rights and radio rights for ESPN. The new contracts break down to $700 million a year for ESPN, $525 million a year for Fox, and $325 million a year for Turner. That's a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money. The best way to recoup, Rosenthal goes on to say, that money, if it is even possible, is to appeal to the widest 
audience. So play primetime games. <laughs> no, what he's saying is that that's the reason that, in his words, teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox get shoved down the throats of the national baseball audience. I think Rosenthal says very succinctly here, basically, it's put up or shut up time. You complain that you're sick of seeing the same old, same old, and you're tired of seeing ESPN and Fox and now TBS, I guess, advertise and and glorify the Yankees and the Red Sox. Here you have something completely different. The ALCS series between the Orioles and the Kansas City Royals is two excellent clubs. It's going to be a great series. And he's saying if if the ratings aren't good for this series, it, it basically validates those networks' efforts to try to whore themselves off of the teeth of New York and Boston. I understand what Ken's trying to say here, and it's a very well-written piece. My only issue with it is... So what happens if this series is low ratings? Does it really say anything about a uh, you know smaller market teams you know really can't compete and we shouldn't be putting emphasis on small market teams? I, I disagree. There's a reason why there's a kid out in Idaho and North Dakota um, that is a Yankees fan, and that's specifically because they have ESPN and that's all they have in terms of a sports network, and they just specifically cover Yankees in Boston because of the big markets. Um, if things want to change, then those teams, those, those networks are going to need to change their, you know, modus operandi. And it's not just going to happen over one year. It would have to be a total cultural shift. And honestly, it's not going to happen. Why would you go ahead and cover a team like the Orioles? Why would you go ahead and cover a team like the Kansas city Royals? It's much more sexy. It's much more luxurious to cover big teams such as New York Yankees. It's lazy is what it is. It's, well, who cares if you're making the same amount of money? Wouldn't you rather do things more lazy and make the same amount of money? This piece says, all right, all right, fine, fine, fine. We can't cram the, the big teams down your throat. So if this one time we pay attention to the only guys that are left because it's our only option, you don't bite it because you haven't been uh, primed by all the other crap we've been feeding you, then that makes our, our previous efforts okay. That makes the way we've been doing things okay. If just this one time you get a, a taste of something different, even though all we've been saying all along is Yankees, 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 Red Sox, Red Sox, Red Sox. That's crap. Yeah, that's fine. Like I said, I, I just think that just because this one series, even if it has low ratings, it doesn't say one thing or the other. If baseball wants to continue to grow and make it this a grassroots thing as opposed to just being a New York-Boston conglomeration, it's going to need to put focus on national media of a multitude of these small market teams and not just constantly talking about um, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox. It's not going to happen. You can take a look at the NBA, for example, on all the NBA covers is the Miami Heat, the New York Knicks, and um, you know the LA Lakers. And I'm assuming this year it's going to be the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, you know, it's very easy for big market teams to do that. And there's a reason why ESPN's first you know thing in its letter is E, and that's for entertainment. It is not a news program. It's not a newscasting thing. Sure, they do sometimes with outside the lines. But in the end, it is entertainment. And there's nothing more entertaining to the big markets than following the superstars that are in these big markets. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. All I can say is I, I hope that uh, I hope that everything baseball got in that wild card game where Kansas City shocked everyone by coming back against the A's, they get in this ALCS between the Orioles and the Royals. I, I hope that this series, of course I hope the Orioles win, but I hope that this series is such great baseball 
that it's part of a game changer in the way that those networks look at baseball as a commodity and how they make money off of it. Nope, not going to happen. But anyway, it's going to be a great series for baseball traditionalists. I, you know, anyone that's listening to this, of course, is going to watch. But you know, if you know anybody from out of town, make a mention it to them. You know, we've got two great small market teams coming in here. And again, I'd also like to go out there and thank Clint Scholes from uh, Pine Tar Network from coming out and sharing the love that he has for his team. And again, it, it they truly are two mere organizations and teams right now. So best of luck to the Kansas City Royals. But like you said, just not too much luck. Um, and, you know, it's going to be a great week of Orioles baseball. It's as simple as that. Jake, you and I are definitely going to game two. We're going to try to get tickets to game one. Um, it's going to be a great weekend again. Um, it's going to be a great week. So we'll be back again next Monday um, talking about what transpired during game one and game two of this series. And perhaps we'll be doing some uh, live casting for during game three of next week's series as well. It's going to be a very fun week in Baltimore um, watching this ALCS for the first time since 1997. This is, this is too much fun. This is way too much fun. But with that, Jake, we do need to bid everyone, you know, our goodbyes and, you know, wish them luck this week. So this podcast can't last forever. It's already gone past an hour. So, no, yes, we need to end this now. In that case, a do a do. All right, Baltimore. Best of luck to the Orioles. We won't stop. Let's go O's. I thought we would stop. Never going to stop. Go Delman Young. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.